God planned for these things to be the way that we live our lives. God has in mind for us things that are good, things that are filled with life, and and part of our stories in stained glass today help us see different aspects of that. We continue in our journey this uh, over the past several weeks of taking a look at the stained glass in the sanctuary, seeing where it connects with the stories of Scripture and how we might connect with our lives today. Today we will uh, be taking a look at the windows under the balcony um, on the west side. Uh, we'll start in the back, um, so those you can't see from here, um, but we'll start in the back. We'll make our way forward. You'll see uh, those images on the screen today. So we begin uh, very, in the very back on the far northwest uh, on the, in the usher's room is a, is a lampstand, um, or uh, you may know it as a menorah. Um, this image depicts a lampstand or menorah made of pure gold. Um, it was used in the portable sanctuary, which was set up by Moses in the wilderness and later in the temple in Jerusalem. Fresh olive oil of the purest quality um, was burned daily to light its lamps. Uh, a couple passages of scripture describe both its, uh, its blueprint, its design, um, and its description is in the same passage of scripture that we see a couple weeks ago when we saw the breastplate, um, the chest pendant um, of these, these items that were used in the worship of God in the Old Testament in Exodus 25. Make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. The lampstand's base, branches, cups, flowers, and petals should all be attached to it. It should have six branches growing out from its sides, three branches on one side of the lampstand, and three branches on the other side of the lampstand. And then a few chapters later, we hear about how this lampstand is to be used. You must require the Israelites to bring you pure oil of crushed olives for the light, so that the lamp may be set up to burn continually. In the meeting tent, outside the veil that hangs in front of the covenant document, Aaron and his sons will tend the lamp from evening to morning in the Lord's presence. It will be a permanent regulation for the Israelites in every generation. So this lampstand was to be kept burning all night long from evening to morning. Um, It was part of the responsibility of uh, Aaron and his sons, the priests, to to do this. Uh, Just a a word of of note, you may be familiar um, perhaps with the menorah uh, that's connected with Hanukkah. Um, The uh, menorah at Hanukkah has nine branches. Um, This has seven branches, so a bit of a distinction there um, in, in these pieces of the Jewish faith. One of the ways that I make sense of this for us today is by how it was used. This lampstand was kept burning all night long, um, and especially there, you might imagine, before, well before there was electricity to, to keep things light at night, this lampstand provided light in the darkness. And perhaps in the very same way, not exactly the same way, but we might also think about it perhaps that when we find ourselves in darkness, because we certainly find it in our lives at times for a variety of reasons, that God will light the way, and that even though it may seem dim, as we consider, remember the stars in the sky uh, last week, there is some light in the midst of the darkness, and the lampstand reminds us of, of this. God is light in the darkness of our lives, not just for Moses and the Israelites when they lit this particular piece of sacred furniture, but for you and for me today. This is the lampstand. The next image, uh, just further south, uh, closer to the front, uh, still uh, inside the usher's room, though, is an image of a broken chain. Uh, and a broken chain is, is really a powerful image. Uh, author Alana Francis writes in Christianity Today about broken chains. Chains are an obvious symbol of imprisonment. In physical terms, they restrict us, hold us down and back, and signify our captive state. In spiritual terms, they do more or less the same. 
While many of us won't experience physical chains, we're by no means immune to the impact of spiritual chains, which harm our spiritual growth. These kinds of shackles are just as unmissable and detrimental to our freedom because they affect our behavior, our outlook, and our faith. There's a number of scriptures that describe uh, chains uh, uh, or chains being broken. Um, I wanted to share a couple of them with you uh, today. The first uh, from Psalm 107. So they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and God saved them from their desperate circumstances. God brought them out from the darkness and deep gloom. He shattered their chains. Have you ever in your life felt like you have been in desperate circumstances? The psalmist promises that God will bring you out of the darkness and God will, in time, perhaps shatter your chains. And the description from Jesus in which he um, uh, shares a word, it's not particularly related um, to, uh, to chains, but I believe um, can help us make sense of this image as well. In John chapter 8. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They responded, We're Abraham's children. We've never been anyone's slaves. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus answered, I assure you that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave isn't a permanent member of the household, but a son is. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you really will be free. Jesus' promise of freedom, it's not just for those that heard his words when he first shared them. This promise of freedom, of of being able to experience the truth of God and to let it set us free from those things that bind us, it's still true today. God offers the opportunity to break the chains of those things that bind us. And this broken chain reminds us of this power of God in our lives today. The next image, just inside, uh, the very back there, you may, if you turn your neck, you can um, see it there, the dove and the rainbow. Um, the dove, of course, uh, becomes a symbol of peace in this story. We looked at doves um, last week in the creation story, but this is uh, most certainly um, a story of Noah's Ark. Yeah, you see there uh, an olive branch in its mouth, um, the waters uh, receding, and the rainbow. The rainbow as well, a powerful image that you know from that story, very same story, a symbol of union. It appeared in the sky after the flood to reassure Noah of God's forgiveness. Uh, In general, uh, outside of this story, the rainbow is a symbol of God's pardon and forgiveness of humans for their sins. You remember that at that time the flood was sent because of the the great evil of the people that were living on the world, and God wanted a fresh start wanted to begin again, desired to begin again with all of creation, except for this few group of people and animals that were there on the ark. So we hear this story again in Genesis chapter 8, verses 6, six uh, beginning in verse 6. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. He sent out a raven, and it flew back and forth until the waters over the entire earth had dried up. Then he sent out a dove to see if the waters on all the fertile land had subsided, But the dove found no place to set its foot. It returned to him in the ark, since waters still covered the entire earth. Noah stretched out his hand, took it, and brought it back into the ark. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out from the ark again. The dove came back to him in the evening, grasping a torn olive leaf in its beak. And then in chapter 9, beginning in verse 12, God said, This is the symbol of the covenant. 
that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. Friends, that's you and me, every future generation. I have placed my bow in the clouds. It will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every living being among all the creatures. Floodwaters will never again destroy all creatures. God offers the opportunity to begin again. The dove, a sign of peace, the the olive branch, a sign of new life, the opportunity uh, to begin again for Noah and his family, and the rainbow as a sign of God's promises. In this case, a particular promise that God wouldn't destroy all the creatures in the earth with floodwaters again, and yet also a sign of God's continual promise that the chance to begin it again is offered for you and me. When we find ourselves in a place where we feel like there's no way out of it, God can offer us the chance to begin again and to discover new life and to seek to plant new things and to find ourselves growing in life with God. And so the dove and the, remain, and the rainbow remind us of these things, remind us of God's promises that continue for all time. The next image is, uh, is a pulpit, uh, pretty clearly. Um, a pulpit, as you may know, is a raised stand uh, for preachers in a Christian church. Um, as a symbol, um, in stained glass, it represents the preaching of the Word of God. Um, and United Methodist preachers have a long, uh, United Methodism has a long um, history of uh, preaching being a significant part of the service uh, still today. Um, it's the, the single longest uh, part of the service um, and uh, helping uh, people understand um, the Word of God, making connections with their life of faith and the way that they live in their everyday lives, uh, being both relevant um, to our lives today and faithful. It's something that um, I hope to do. Certainly, preachers around the world, um, around town, um, throughout all of our communities hope to do this as well. And the pulpit uh, reminds us of that. Now, there's only one reference uh, to uh, pulpit in scriptures, and, and it's, a, it's in the Old Testament, um, and we don't actually see this word in the Common English Bible, um, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose, and there standing beside him were a bunch of other people that were standing beside him. Uh, in the King James Version, uh, the, the wooden platform uh, that we see here in this verse um, is translated as a pulpit um, of wood. Um, so Ezra is getting ready to, to speak to the people. He's getting to, to share with them the word of God. And this is, uh, this is the reference that we see for a pulpit um, in the scriptures. But certainly within our practice of faith, um, a very common symbol, um, a very common image is uh, in churches, um, certainly around town and, uh, and around the world. And Part of what I believe that this symbol reminds us is that, is that proclaiming the word of God is not only for clergy. That pulpit isn't up here in the front. We have one here. Uh, we have a chance uh, to speak uh, here in this sanctuary. But, um, but that pulpit is, is out where you all sit. Um, it's a reminder that the clergy person is not the only one who has the opportunity to share God's word. That's available for all of us. Now, when you and I do it throughout the week, it may not be at a piece of furniture like this. In fact, it almost certainly isn't. But by the way you speak, by the way that you live your life, by the way that you interact with other people, you have the chance to proclaim God's word. And I believe that this pulpit in our stained glass helps remind us of that, that we're all called to share 
the good news of Jesus Christ, to share God's love with others, to talk about the way that God has been at work in our life, to proclaim God's word. And this is the pulpit in our stained glass. The next image is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Again, another piece of sacred furniture, the gold-covered wooden chest with a lid um, cover there uh, with angels um, described in the book of Exodus. Um, In this portion of Scripture, Exodus 25, we see several of our stained glass images um, that are described in this section of of, uh, how to to worship and how to connect with God. Um, And we hear these words uh, from uh, chapter 25. Have them make an acacia wood chest. It should be 45 inches long. 27 inches wide and 27 inches high, covered with pure gold. Now, I don't know why this, our, our image doesn't have gold in it, uh, but it doesn't. Uh, inside and out and make a gold molding all around it. Put the gold cover on top of the chest and put the covenant document that I will give you inside the chest. There I will meet you. From there above the cover, from between the two winged heavenly creatures that are on top of the chest containing the covenant, I will deliver to you all that I command you concerning the Israelites. This is the Ark of the Covenant. We see that picture there again. Now, again, we have gold in the stained glass. Why that's not gold, I'm uncertain. Um, but the scriptures tell us that this is the place where Moses went to meet God. A place where Moses went to meet God. Not only that, but to listen and to hear God speak. And so, again, we, we don't have one of these uh, up here on the chancel. And I doubt that you have one in your home Maybe you do, Um, but it's a symbol for us today, and it reminds us to uh, answer the question, where is it that you go to meet God? Of course, we know that we can meet God everywhere, but there are things, uh, particular places perhaps, that, that are more meaningful or significant, a place where you can perhaps hear God more clearly. Uh, for some of you, it's, it's this place. Maybe it's a favorite chair in your home, a special corner of a particular room. Maybe it's when you're outside. I don't know what it is for you, but where is it that you go to meet God? Where is the place or the time or the circumstances when you're able to experience God most profoundly or hear God speak most clearly? This Ark of the Covenant was that place for Moses and the people of Israel. And we need those places today. We need particular places where we can uh, pay attention to our relationship with God and, and tend to it and find time to listen for God's word for us today. This is the Ark of the Covenant. The next image is the bronze snake. We heard about that uh, in the passage uh, from Numbers. Uh, you remember that the story of bronze snake wound around the cross um, was uh, because the people were impatient with God. God had sent poisonous snakes. Uh, they turned away from their sins, and the bronze snake was able to heal them. Uh, and this is one of those stories where I think this is it's kind of a funny story. So the people are impatient, God sends snakes, and then they re- turn back and they say, and God sends them this, well, make this bronze snake, put it up on a pole, and then, and then you'll be okay. It's a little bit unusual, perhaps, but, but part of what it teaches us is that is that when we turn away from our sins, God offers healing for us. When we turn away from what we know that's wrong, when we seek to live a new life, God uh, is able to wash it clean, to make right what has, been made, what has been wronged, and to heal up broken places. And the bronze snake there on a pole is a reminder of that. It's a reminder of the forgiveness that God offered the people of Israel. 
relenting, repenting from the poisonous snakes that he had sent on them. And also for us today. Uh, For some uh, people see uh, in this image a a symbol as well of, of Christ on the cross. In a different way than this bronze snake, of course, offering um, a chance for healing from our sins. And so this uh, image reminds us that God is there to offer us healing, a new life, an opportunity again to begin again to receive God's great mercy. And it's available all the time, not just in a story long ago and far away, out in the wilderness on the Sinai Peninsula, but for you and me. And this symbol reminds us that God is able to offer us healing when we turn back to God and recognize what we've done is wrong. This is the bronze snake. The next image is the cup. This image is located um, coming up here to the front. um, And you can see that um, at least two different ways that we might interpret this particular image. Um, Certainly as a sign of Holy Communion. Um, just above it, um, uh, to the south, is the wheat uh, we talked about as a sign of Holy Communion as well. And so we look at the cup as a reminder of uh, the, the, the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples and invited us to continue to share today. But also, it's a reminder of Jesus' request in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, that when he was in agony and suffering, that he asked God to take away his cup. We find both of these uh, in Luke chapter 22. It starts there in the upper room and it continues later in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll read from verse, uh, starting with verse 19. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And then just a few verses later in the very same chapter in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus left and made his way to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom, and the disciples followed him. When he arrived, he said to them, pray that you won't give in to temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not my will, but your will must be done. Here in the same image, we see these uh, perhaps seemingly very different um, experiences. Uh, The cup of new life, the the cup of salvation, um, the chance uh, of this new uh, promise that God makes through Jesus Christ. Uh, The celebration that we have of Holy Communion is, is one that can be joyous and it reminds us of God's grace and mercy. And yet at the same time, this cup reminds us that that even Jesus himself, when he was going through this dark night, um, this most difficult time in his life, when he knew that he was to be put to death, he said, God, take this cup of suffering from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And for me, I I find that a a difficult thing at times uh, to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so this cup both reminds us that we might be called, invited, just like Jesus did, to offer our lives, to ask God to take away the cup of suffering, but most importantly, that God's will be done. And it's a sign of God's mercy poured out for the whole world through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the promise of the new covenant made for each one of us. This is the cup. Finally, the last image on this on the west side here uh, before the transept uh, is an altar from the Old Testament. 
Uh, an altar is a place where uh, sacrifices were offered, uh, where sacrifices were placed. Um, certainly this particular altar was most likely um, out, certainly not in the temple. Um, you can see that it was made of, made of stones here and, and an offering being burnt on top of it. We hear a description of an altar from Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 24 and 25. God says, make for me an altar from fertile soil in which to sacrifice your entirely burned offerings, your well-being sacrifices, your sheep and your oxen. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I make sure my name is remembered. But if you do make me for me an altar from stones, don't build it with chiseled stone, since using your chisel on the stone will make it impure. So uh, clearly in this image, they took the second option. Uh, This is not of soil. Um, It is of stones. Um, although ones that haven't been chiseled. And the altar is a symbol and reminds us of, that we might offer what we have to God. Um, the people of Israel, and as recorded in the Old Testament, brought um, uh, animal sacrifices of livestock, of doves, of, of a variety of other uh, means, and they offered it to God as their first fruits. And we as well um, seek to offer the first fruits of what God has given us back to God, uh, what God has given us to offer it back to God. The altar help reminds us of that. We're not going to ask you to do animal sacrifices or necessarily anything involving fire, but God has given us a lot, and so we offer what we have back to God. These stories in stained glass connect with the stories of Scripture. They continue to connect with our story today, and the good news is that the God who told these stories, who interacted with people in these ways over time, whose stories are told in our stained glass, is still at work in our lives today. So offer the best of what you have to God. Proclaim God's word through your life. God is light in the darkness. God is with us in suffering. God can help you break free from what binds you. God offers forgiveness from our sins, a fresh start, a new beginning. God's promises are forever. And God's mercies are new every morning. These are the stories in our stained glass. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we ask that you would help us live as part of your story. That we take these images, these scriptures, these meanings, and, and not just hold it in our head, but let it sink down to our heart and out into the way that we live our lives. Oh God, we offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.